Hey there, my name is Ryan Hughley, and I'm lead pastor of Ridgeline Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Our goal is to help as many people as possible meet and mature in the Jesus of the Bible. For more information about our ministry, visit our website at ridgeline.church. If you enjoy the podcast, consider subscribing on the platform of your choice. Thanks again for listening, and I pray God's Spirit uses this message to revive you in a fresh way. Well, I'm excited to jump back into 1 Peter uh, with you this morning. If this is your first time joining us uh, and you have not uh, been uh, here for the, the other parts, the other installments uh, of this series, and I'd encourage you to find those on YouTube or you can uh, listen to the podcast, uh, but we're going to come back to 1 Peter uh, this morning. You know, I was thinking one of the things I love about getting to spend a few months teaching through an entire book of the Bible is that each week we all get to come to a deeper and deeper understanding of the author's heart and intent in whatever it is that they are writing. And so the more time that I spend in 1 Peter, the more I see Peter working out the effects of the new birth. Now remember, new birth is another way of talking about God's gracious work of awakening an individual's heart to surrender to faith in Jesus. And so especially thus far, Peter's been answering the question, what does life with Christ actually do? What does a life that has been awakened to faith look like specifically when we walk through these seasons of life that are hard? And so one way to think about much of what Peter has to say is to think of him as providing us with what I would call spiritual checkups. Now, I remember when um, our three kids were born. We have three kids, for those of you that don't know, Ava, Ryder, Lincoln. They're 12, 10, and 8. And uh, we had to take them for regular physical checkups. And especially early on, these checkups were very, very frequent. And each time, they would do the same thing. The doctor or the nurse would weigh the baby, and then they would uh, take measurements and then proceed to poke and prod and twist them from head to toe. And sometimes our kids would cry because it was uncomfortable or because they didn't understand what it was that was happening. But the intent behind these checkups was ensuring that they were growing in a healthy manner. And so I remember our doctor having this chart where they were tracking things like weight and height, always making sure that they were falling inside of a healthy percentile. These physical checkups were meant to monitor healthy growth. And this is exactly what I see Peter doing in regards to our souls. He wants to give us these spiritual checkups to monitor us for healthy growth. See, just like we are all born physical infants, every Christian is born again as a spiritual infant. And we grow more and more over time into the image of Jesus. But the reality is, it is easy for anyone to identify themselves as a Christian. Literally anyone can say that. Anyone can say, especially with the freedom that we have in our country, anyone can say, yeah, I'm for sure a Christian. But what's helpful about 1 Peter is that he provides us with some objectivity by which we can ensure that we have in fact experienced the new birth and we can measure our growth accordingly. And this morning's text is no exception. 
In fact, this morning, uh, Peter's going to take us to what really the entirety of the New Testament says is supposed to be one of the most obvious signs of new birth. And so if you're taking notes this morning, why don't you do me a favor and grab whatever it is that you're going to write on and whatever it is you're going to write with, and I want you to make a note of this big idea. Our big idea this morning is this, love is the chief mark of new life. Love is the chief mark of new life. Take a second and write that down and think about that for a second. Now, now I want you to understand that, that theology and doctrine, they really matter. They are so important. And there are a number of Christian virtues that matter. And there are a multitude of spiritual fruit that the very Spirit of God wants to and will produce in us. But, but everyone from Jesus to the Apostle Paul and this morning Peter make it very clear that sincere love for one another is actually the chief mark of new life. All of these other things matter. All of these other things are important. But if you were to ask Jesus or you were to ask Paul or as we'll see, if you were to ask Peter this morning, what is the, the chief mark of new, li- of new life? What is the, 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 the highest priority? Their answer would all be love. And so if you haven't yet, why don't you do me a favor and, uh, and grab a Bible and open up to 1 Peter chapter 1 again. We're going to finish this chapter this morning. We're going to pick back up in verse 22 and we're going to read all the way through chapter 2 verse 3. And I want to call this message, Learning to Love. Okay, we're going to call this learning to love. And when we look at these verses broadly, we see that Peter drops yet another command And then he follows it with a description of the very command that he gives. And so notice that Peter starts with this command. Make a note of this. Resolve to love one another deeply. That's the command that Peter gives us this morning. Resolve to love one another deeply. Got that written down? All right, look with me at verse 22. And let's let's look at this at the end of chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 22. Peter writes this. He says, Since you have purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth, so that you show sincere brotherly love for each other, from a pure heart, love one another constantly, because you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. And then notice how he quotes from the Old Testament here. He says, For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like a flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this word is the gospel that was proclaimed to you. So, The truth is there are uh, two things in these verses that I I want you to note. The first is, I want you to notice how Peter bookends this command to do the work of loving one another between two reminders of the work that God has already done. All right? So so Peter is highlighting here uh, a cause and effect relationship between new birth and then the love that he calls us to. So notice again that he starts in verse 22 writing, since you have purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth. Now, this phrase, obedience to the truth, is a reference to repentance. Now, it's good that repentance would be referred to as obedience to the truth because repentance is so much more than just mere confession. 
Like sometimes we're prone to think that merely acknowledging some area of sin in our lives is the act of repentance. But the truth is that acknowledging it or confessing it is only one part. See, repentance is a change of heart and mind and behavior. So repentance involves the head, the heart, and the hands, if you will. It is a change of how we feel towards sin. It's a change of how we think about sin. And it's a change in how we behave in regard to our sin. And so repentance is obedience to the truth in the sense of being a full soul surrender to Jesus. And Romans tells us that God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance and that when we repent all of our sin, that means all of our past, present, and future sin, all of our sin is purified by the blood of Christ. And so this is yet another way in which Peter is describing new birth that had already been accomplished in their lives. And then in verse 23, he frames the cause of this love again, writing this, because you've been born again through the living and enduring word of God, which he then describes in verse 24 to 25 as the unchanging and enduring gospel of Jesus Christ. So last week I said, when it comes to the way of Jesus, you might remember this, imperatives always follow indicatives. Imperatives always follow indicatives. What we're called to do is caused by what God has already done in Christ. You got that? What we're called to do is accomplished, is caused by what God has already done in Christ. There is cause and there is effect. So think about what happens when you heat water to 212 degrees. It boils, right? Heating the water is the cause and the boil is the effect. Should you cool water to 32 degrees, it will freeze. There's cause and there's effect. When we consume more calories than we burn, uh, we gain weight. There's cause and effect. When we burn more calories than we consume, we lose weight. There is cause and effect. Think about if you ever walk into a dark room and you flip on the light switch, the lights turn on. If you were to flip that switch again, the lights turn off. It's very, very simple there is cause and effect. And the Christian life is no different. But here's the thing. Confusing the cause and the effect of the Christian life is the difference between life and death. And this is exactly what religion does. It confuses the effect with the cause. See, religion says that we should love others so that God will give us new life. But the Bible says that when God gives you new life, you will love others. And so Peter bookends this command to do the work of loving one another between these two reminders to, uh, of the work that God has already done. Now, that being said, we can't ignore this very critical command that does happen in the midst of all this. Peter makes clear that new life in Christ leads us to learn to love. He says that our repentance results in showing, notice this again, sincere brotherly love for each other. And then he clearly commands from a pure heart, love one another constantly. Now, you may hear this and think, yeah, yeah, but... but but some of the Christians that God's put in my life are so 
difficult. And if I'm honest, I don't feel love toward them. And, and you know what I'd say to that? I'd say, that's fair. Some people are very hard to love. But here's what we have to understand. The love that is commanded here in 1 Peter and really throughout the New Testament as a whole, it is not a feeling as much as it is a behavior toward one another. And this is why the Apostle Peter says, love one another constantly. The Greek word that we translate as constantly speaks of effort and strain. It is a call to love with stern resolve, with fervency and eagerness. See, it's a decision that says, I'm going to treat others in a loving manner no matter what, and I am never going to stop. I'm never going to stop. And so it's not that our feelings play no part in the call to love, but it's critical that we do not allow our feelings to dictate whether or not we behave in a loving manner toward others. A few weeks ago, I mentioned that we had uh, spent a day out at the Jordanelle Reservoir, <clears throat> but I don't think that I mentioned that on that particular day, it was like just crazy windy. And, and I felt so bad because there were all of these young kids who were a part of this sailing club uh, out on the reservoir that day, and they were just getting pounded by this wind. And so each one of these kids, and they were pretty young, but each one of them had their own uh, single passenger sailboat, and then there were instructors around that were teaching them how to do everything that sailing is. So they were teaching them how to manage their sails and how to capture the wind and what to do if they capsized. And, and, and I'm no expert in sailing, but I know enough to understand that when you are out on a sailboat, that uh, the wind drives the boat. Agreed? I don't think any of us are probably experts on sailing, but I think we can all agree on that. We know that, that when it comes to sailing, the wind drives the boat. Now, here's the thing. When it comes to love, too often as followers of Jesus, we allow our feelings rather than our conscious resolve to be the wind that drives whether or not we display love. So when we feel the emotion or the feeling of love, we behave in a loving manner. But when we don't feel that love, we don't behave lovingly. And the problem is, when it comes to the Christian life, a conscious resolve to show concrete displays of love is the wind that drives us. It's a decision that we make, again, that says, I have been shown love by God that I do not deserve. And so now I'm going to show love to others regardless of whether or not it's deserved. And that resolution, that decision, not the feeling, is the wind that drives our love for one another. If we have received the gift of new birth, we can and we must resolve to love one another deeply, no matter what. And just in case we're not clear on what that love is to look like, I want you to make a note of this. Make a note of this description that Peter gives us. He says, reject everything that ruins love. Make a note of that. Reject everything that ruins love. Now listen to chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Peter continues saying, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. 
Like newborn infants desire the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow into your salvation if you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, I want you to notice that verse one starts with this important word again, therefore. So because they had received the gift of new life, Peter calls them to rid themselves of everything that would ruin the love that he has called them to. And this phrase, rid yourselves, comes from a Greek phrase that refers to the removal of dirty clothing. Now, some of you know uh, our good friend, Pastor Ashley Herr from our sister church, uh, Redemption Bible Church in Chicago. Uh, He was just down here a few weeks ago, and he and Pastor Tyler and I spent a couple of days up in Park City talking about how we could align our efforts to better care for the growing number of pastors and ministry leaders who are being chewed up and spit out of vocational ministry. And we had really fruitful time uh, and conversation about that, and we're excited to see what God does. But in addition to those conversations, we also really wanted to have some fun together. And so we spent a day in the Uintas uh, doing some UTVing. Now, if you have ever driven a UTV, then you know you tend to get pretty dirty, right? Like depending on where you go, it's it's dusty. It can be super muddy. Uh, You may drive through creeks and ravines. And so you get wet and then that dirt and that dust sticks to you all the more. And so that day was no exception for sure. We got very, very dirty. But, but poor Pastor Ashley spent all day long driving behind Tyler and I. And so by the time we were done, he literally looked like he had been living in the wild for months. He was filthy. So filthy, I almost called him an Uber because I didn't even want him to drive in my car with me. He was just that dirty. And so that, that said, guess what the very first thing we did when we got back was? We took those wet, muddy, filthy clothes off, we showered, and we put on clean clothes. And that removing of dirty clothes for clean is what Peter is picturing here. He's calling us to shed unloving behavior that is inconsistent with our new lives in Christ. He's saying that we are to rid ourselves of or to reject these five specific enemies that ruin love. And so I want you to make a note of these and pay attention to these five things. Write these down. Five enemies that ruin love. Five enemies that ruin love. Number one is this. Number one is malice. Malice. Now, this is the most general of these five enemies. Uh, Malice, if you don't know, is the opposite of virtue. In the most general sense, it is an evil desire to do harm. Now, you can't behave in a loving manner towards someone in your life and desire to harm them at the same time, right? Now, this this would include the desire to harm someone physically with our bodies, but also emotionally with our words. Now, we all know what it is to speak with the intent to hurt and to cause harm. Love cares for and about the good of others. And so malice is an enemy that ruins love. Now, the second enemy that ruins love is this. It's deceit. Peter says it's deceit. Now, we all know what deceit is. It is the deliberate attempt to mislead someone through lying. And so regardless of whether or not we do this in big ways or small ways, deceit is deceit. Anytime we say anything that would lead someone to believe something that is not entirely accurate, we are guilty of deceit. And love speaks the truth 
And so as a result, deceit is an enemy of love. Enemy number three is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. This is the opposite of the pure or sincere love that Peter calls us to back in verse 22. Because hypocrisy is pretending to be different than you are specifically for selfish gain. So this would include any form of manipulation or having expectations of others that we don't even live up to ourselves. This would even include what might appear to be kind behavior, but the intent behind that is some sort of selfish gain. Love is sincere. It's pure-hearted. And so hypocrisy is an enemy that ruins love. Here's number four. Number four is envy. Envy. Now, envy is longing for what another person has, and envy poisons our ability to celebrate and to be happy for others. Instead, we end up trying to tear them down because if we can't have uh, what they have, then we don't want anyone to have them. We don't want them to have it, and so we're going to tear them down. And there are endless ways in which we can fall prey to envy. Maybe you're single and you envy a friend who is married or has a spouse, Or maybe you have a spouse, but you envy a friend or a family member that you believe has a better one. We can envy another person's job. We can envy their season of life. We can envy another person's home, their job, their gifts, their abilities, their appearance. It's endless. And love lives with this generous joy for the goodness of God in the lives of other people. And so envy is an enemy that ruins love. And then lastly, number five, Peter says, is slander. Slander. Now, slander, you probably know this, but it's any words that we would speak with the intent of damaging another person's reputation. It's words that we speak with the, it's not just mean words or cutting words. Specifically, slander has behind it the intent to harm another person's reputation. And so this is why the Proverbs so frequently forbid gossip. Gossip is harmful to a person's reputation. And this is one we have to keep a particular eye on right now as we are living in such a tense and a divided point of history in our country. Love uses words for the edification and the good of those around us. And so slander is an enemy that ruins love. And so it doesn't matter if it is on the internet, on social media, it doesn't matter if it's face-to-face with someone, we do not use our words to harm the reputation of others, ever. And so let's take an honest look at these five enemies that ruin love. Where are we guilty of allowing them to live in our relationships? Where do we need to repent and reject these enemies that ruin our ability to love? Now, as we close the message this morning, I just want to point your attention real quick back to verses 2 and 3 because they provide us with a particular insight into how we grow and mature in this chief mark of new life in Christ, right? Look back at verse 2 with me. Notice Peter says, like newborn infants desire the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow up into your salvation if you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, love is a specific way in which we are called to be holy as God is holy, like Peter told us last week. And what verse 
2 and 3 indicate for us is that growth in this holiness does not happen through hard work alone. Growth is the effect of intimacy with God. And this is why Peter says that we should desire God's word in the same way that a newborn infant desires milk. Newborn infants literally live on milk. It is the source of their very lives. And so they are desperate for it. And in the exact same way, you and I, whether we realize it or not, we are desperate for God's word. And so I I, I fear sometimes that we think of reading the Bible like it's just some kind of task that we should complete out of obligation. But the truth is we read the Bible specifically to build an intimate relationship with God. The late Eugene Peterson, who's one of my favorite authors, said that the Bible is God sharing his inner life with us. Just think about how amazing that that is. The Bible is God sharing his inner life with us. He is sharing his heart. He is sharing his desires. He is sharing his plan. He is sharing his purpose with us. He's sharing his inner life with us. And just like sharing our inner lives with one another, our hopes, our dreams, our feelings, being open and honest and vulnerable and authentic and transparent with one another, just like that builds intimacy in our relationships with one another, God shares his inner life with us through his word so that we can grow in intimacy with him. And it's true that the more deeply that we press into him, the more we become like him. That's exactly what Peter says here. Like newborn infants desire the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow up into your salvation. Love is the chief mark of new life. But rather than just simply resolve to be more loving this week, let's resolve to spend more time sitting with God and contemplating the inner life that he has generously shared with us through his word. So I want to encourage you this week, if you don't have a place that you're currently reading, pick a book, any book. It doesn't, doesn't even matter what it is. If, if you're not sure where to start, I would say if you want to start in the Old Testament, start in the beginning of the book of Psalms. If you're in the New Testament, maybe read the Gospel of Mark or one of the letters that is uh, toward the back half of the New Testament. But I want you to, to, to choose a book and to read slowly, reflecting on what you're reading reveals about God's heart and his mind. Love is the chief mark of new life. And so let's lean into the God of love this week as he produces the love that is consistent with this new life in us and through us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God of love. Your word says that you are love, that you define love, that you embody love, that you model it, that you have displayed it to us primarily in the sacrifice of your son Jesus in our place for our sin. Jesus, there has never been a greater act of love than that. And we thank you for that. In fact, Holy Spirit, I pray that if there's anyone watching or listening who has not put their faith in you, that that you would awaken their heart the surrendered faith in Jesus, that you would impart to them through that repentance, the gift of new life that we have been talking so much about. Help them to taste and see right now that God is good and that he has displayed his goodness through his grace to us through Jesus. 
And Lord, I, I pray that you would help us not just to head back into another week uh, committed to and resolved to, to trying to, to work harder to be more loving. Lord, help us to lean into you more deeply. Help us to spend more time contemplating and reflecting on your word. Help us to, 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 to find your inner life here and through it to be changed more and more into your image. Lord, help us to live into this new life that you have given to us. And I pray, Lord, that the primary sign of that new life would be love. In Jesus' name, amen.